The Right Time with Bomani Jones is presented by YouTube TV. Try it free today at youtube.com slash NBA23. New users only. Terms apply. Cancel anytime. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for watching us on YouTube. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. It is that time of week where we have a guest join us, coming to us live from ESPN and Meadowlark Media. Howard Bryant, uh, I got to be honest, I originally <laughs> tried to have Nick Wright on here because I wanted to needle him a little bit about the Lakers. So I decided, hey, why not have you on? Because I don't have to needle you about the Celtics. You're going to do it for yourself. <laughs> There's a lot of needling going on around here. However, believe it or not, all it took was one game for people to start talking about the Missoula miracle. They ain't winning four in a row. <laughs> Yo, let me tell you about that, though. So yesterday, I kept seeing, and you know, people love the opportunity to tell me I don't know nothing. In this case, it was probably fair. Um, I was like, yo, Vegas still had the Celtics as favorites going into game four. And I'm like, all oh, they models still can't imagine that the Celtics are like lying down like they are. And I was factoring into this also that going into game three, ESPN's metrics, the uh, basketball power index or whatever it's called, they still had the Celtics as yeah. favorites going into game three. And it still says now, even down 3-1, that they have a 46% chance of winning the whole series. Like, the math can't conceive of how terribly the Celtics have looked. Now, I put it into context of gambling, and so everybody's like, it's not really how it goes. It's all just about the betting, which I'll be honest, I didn't think was the case, but it really is. Like, I would think that them folks in Vegas would be doing a little bit more advanced math on this one. Now, there's some other interesting things I learned in researching this after the fact, but the Celtics really have been worse than professionals could even imagine yes i mean this was going into last night's game this was cancun on three yes one two three you're right i mean cancun we're done it's over and the reasons there's just so many reasons it's like you you recognize that this team has a lot of flaws in a lot of ways when you talk to professionals you know guys who actually have done what we're watching they just don't think the Celtics were a mentally tough team and that the Celtics aren't a, a physically tough team, that the that they don't they're not playing the type of basketball. It's not just that the shots aren't going in. They're not playing the type of basketball you need to play to win basketball games, to win championship level Eastern Conference finals games. You go back and look at the at at the play. In game two, where it's a 65-62 game and the ball's almost out of bounds and Jalen Brown just watches it and Jimmy Butler leaps to the ground, <laughs> leaps to the floor to almost try to knock it off of Brown. And I'm like, one of y'all is playing and the other one is watching. You look at the play in game three where, where Brown falls out of bounds and he's staring at the refs for a call and instead of running back on D, Max Struess bangs a three because he's not and he's not even past half court or barely past half court. So I was stunned. I had, you know, my boys were texting me going, the Celtics are favorite tonight. I'm like, they've been favored every game this series. And so, yeah, whether it's the human element that's being discounted against the metrics or just the raw volume of betting, whatever it is. They're not watching what we're watching, because what we're watching is a basketball team that clearly is reaching a point where all of their issues and all of their demons for the past several years are sort of coming home to roost right now. You know, I saw someone make an interesting point. I forget who it was, but they were like, look, the Celtics out-rebounded the Heat by 20 in game three and use that as an argument that that's not what a team does when it quits. But everything else looked real quittish. I think that we would agree. And they were down nine, probably midway through the third quarter or somewhere in there. And I'd send a tweet that was like, we are dangerously close to for who, for what territory for the Celtics. Cause I was sure that they were going to lay down. And that wasn't even so much about them as much as I've seen three Oh series before. This is not what you typically see when a team is down 3-0 or they come back the way that they did in game four. And I had asked the question before the game, if you are a Celtics fan, are you more upset seeing that? Because I would be more upset 
yeah. seeing like, oh, so you actually can do this. You just didn't think it was important enough yet. Well, if there's one characteristic of watching the Boston Celtics for the past two seasons, and especially this season, I have a name for them. Cocky ass team. They have been a cocky team all season. They do not have the type of respect that you have to have for your opponents. They don't respect their opponents. They really don't. And the and and the reason I say that, and you could say, okay, well, how do you know? You're not in their heads. You're not around them. It's e either that or they have massive ADHD in terms of concentration. You let the Knicks beat you three times. You let them beat you twice at home. You don't believe these other teams are as good as you because you've always been good enough to turn the switch on. You've always been good enough when you need to win, you win. You go out and you lose game five against Milwaukee last year. So now you're facing an elimination game on the road. So what do you do? Yeah, turn it up a notch, take it on the road, and then win game seven big. Same thing happens. You let Jimmy Butler in an elimination game in Boston last year. What did he hit for? 47. Ah, we're a good road team. We'll go take it on the road. Fine, no problem. And they do, and they win game seven and go to the Barely. finals. Barely. Barely. And had a big lead in the fourth quarter there, too, and barely got out of there. This year, you go out, you, you're you up 3-1 on Atlanta, so you come home for game five to close it out. Now nah, you let Trey Young run all over you. Beat. Same thing with Philly. Oh, Embiid's not playing? We're not going to show up? You lose game one. You, you right the ship. You're 20 seconds away from going up three games to one. You go to Boston 2-2. What do you do? You blow that game. Ah, it's okay. We, we're a good team. So what do you do? You pull a miracle in game six in Philly, and then you blow them out in game in game seven in Boston. And then you lose these two games. And so this is the one where you're looking at it and you're going, the team they're playing got dogs. The team they're playing is tougher. They're hungrier. And all the time, all season long, we talk about Boston, 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 Boston. That, you know, now that now that Milwaukee's out, the finals run through Boston. Now that Golden State is out, the last, you know, conference champion is still alive and you got to go through Boston. But one thing that nobody has been talking about in this series is that if you're Miami, you're like, they went to the finals off our home court. We want as much of a piece of them as they think they're entitled to the championship. They are exactly the matchup that we want. And then you watch these games and you see the Celtics didn't match that. And then out of nowhere, last night, and I think what really changed last night was the fact that there were two or three moments when Miami had a chance to go up double digits. And when they didn't get that, it was like, well, wait a minute. We got a shot, and all of a sudden they start hitting three-pointers and start doing that Celtic thing and it 18 nothing run, and it was happening at the exact same time when Miami suddenly wasn't making a shot. Yeah, and I think the Celtics have a core problem in their construction that we've talked about a decent bit. I feel like it's been a lot of kind of talking about, but we have talked yeah. about a decent bit, which is years ago they made the decision, point guard, what's that? Who needs what's that? that? Mm -hmm. Right? And so – what Tatum and Brown don't give you from players as good as they are, right, at this point, they're still not dudes that can really get anything for anybody else, right? They're still not guys that you can look at. I mean, I mean Jalen Brown just can't stop dribbling the ball off his foot, right? No. Like, like mm -hmm. we get there. Jason Tatum seemed to have caught that exact same thing. But neither of them is a guy that you could be like, take us there, because all they can really do for you is get a bucket. Well, they can get you a bucket, but here's the biggest problem with them. And on top of that, they can't get the bucket that they want when they want it. Like the, if you're going to be a great offensive player, you have to own one piece of the floor. Watch Jimmy Butler. He run around in circles trying to get to that right baseline. That's his spot. Jason Tatum will take whatever shot. His degree of difficulty for his shots is he's a make or miss player. Jalen Brown, same thing. Now he's a little bit more of a mid-range player, but he's not imposing himself on when I need a bucket, where do I go on the court? And a lot of that may be, but not having a point guard. But I think one of the biggest things is, which is why they're so streaky, is that they are completely reliant on rhythm. Sometimes they have it, sometimes they don't. They don't have, they don't own that piece of the court that stops runs, right? Every great offensive player you can name out there today, all of them throughout history, they owned a spot on the floor. And Tatum doesn't have that. When you watch what he does offensively, 
He just takes, I mean, the only guy I've seen who you could say was one of the number ones in the league right now, who has a higher degree of difficulty in terms of his shot making, are two guys who are really, really talented, but don't quite have an offense. One is Julius Randle, who just takes shots. And the other one is Carl Anthony Towns, another really you know talented offensive guy. But what is your offensive game? Postseason's all about possessions. Where are you going to go when you need a basket, right? And they just go where the open shot is because they seem to think they can make whatever shot. But if we're really keeping it real on Jason Tatum as an offensive player, he don't shoot the three well enough to take as many threes as he takes. He's got a 67% failure rate on almost half of his shots. Yeah, I was actually just about to bring that up, and I was looking it up just to make sure I had it. He shot over nine in the regular season. The postseason, he's shooting 8.6 threes a game, but only at 35%, which is to say he's shooting worse from three than Marcus Smart. Mm-hmm. And you would not want Marcus Smart taking eight and a half threes a game. You barely want him taking, I don't even think you really want this, the six a game that he's taking right now. Al Horford's taking five threes a game at 31%. Right, and you Al Horford talked about- went to the foul line for the first time since March 21st last <laughs> night. March 21st. <laughs> it's too much. And I know you you always laugh at me on this, and you I, I know you feel differently because the way the game is going. Tell me if I'm wrong about this. It is my sincere hope that this postseason kills the stretch big. I think well, I'm really hoping this postseason has proven that you have to have a down, you know, an inside game. That is, oh, no. I'm sorry. It's over. Oh, no. no, we don't feel differently about that at all. I, I've, I've never been the arguer against that because to me. No, about you, whether it's going to happen. Yeah, now whether it's going to happen is going to be interesting. I mean, you and I have the same premise, really, that it doesn't matter how big you are if you can't put your back on anybody, <laughs> right? Like, that's the thing about Wimbayama. As we watch him, it's really fun to watch all the stuff that he's doing. But if you can't put that length into action, right into some functional basketball use then you turn into Christos Porzingis who would probably be better off if he was 6'11 because it would be better for his body right Mm -hmm. like I mean you don't you got there's no point in being tall if you don't use the fact that you're taller or bigger than the other person it'll take a long time to dial it back because these dudes are just so conditioned at this point to play a certain type of game but like Jokic Jokic plays a lot of stretch big except when we need a bucket He's the dude's you just over. gonna knock you over. That's just mm-hmm. all it's gonna come down to. You gotta be able to do that. Jason Tatum should be taking people down to the block if he's gonna be a 6'9, 6'10 shooting guard. And like, did you notice some... in the game last I'm sorry, Bo, if you notice in the game last night, what does he do? He goes 14 for 22 and he only takes five threes. Yeah. Like, That's go, your game. Go get a bucket, right? And again, I was amazed that they turned that switch as they seemed to in game four. And maybe it was just a matter of, hey, he's making shots. Because I've talked to people who have made this point that apparently Jason Tatum might be one of the greatest elimination game players ever. And there's something to that based on the results that we've seen of him in the last three. But I still haven't felt any differently in those last three about what his game was and what actually made it happen. Like, Jimmy Butler in game two, when Missoula got all to hell because they weren't doubling him, Jimmy wasn't killing them like basketball killing them. Mm-hmm. He was mentally killing them. That's it right. was just the idea that he just keeps coming at you relentlessly. That's right. But you looked at Yeah, but you looked at the box score with something like 26 points on 24 shots. Yeah. Like that, that that wasn't a great performance in that sense. It was great in the sense that he just made the decision. I'm going to come at you and come at you and come at you. And I'm going to get these shots from my place. And I bet you ain't going to be able to do nothing about it. That's right. And I'm going to get shots for other people because you're watching me. That is the one thing that Jimmy Butler does that, you know, Tatum, Tatum can't do it unless he's hot where Jimmy Butler is the magnet wherever he goes, everybody is reacting to him. And this is the thing. I'm sorry. Tatum took nine threes, but 22 shots. So he was under 50%. Like normally when you watch Tatum, Half of his shots are threes almost every game. And for him to take 22 shots and to have only nine of them be threes, and if you look at his shot chart, he actually decided, I can shoot over people. I have always said, if he patterns his game after Kevin Durant and just is like, I'm just shooting over you. I don't have to do all or nothing. He really plays like the analytics tell you to play. Layup or three, layup or three. If he stops in the middle and is like, you know what? 
I'm six nine, six ten. I can just shoot over you. He he's he's got it all. To to your point about you know about Butler and about the Heat, it one of the arguments that people have been making throughout this series is that the Heat are so mechanical in the ability that everybody can do everything. What I found fascinating about watching them was simply that they're playing better now than they've played all season. They're shooting better. They're hitting more shots. They're hitting better shots. And the question that I have, if you're a Celtics fan and you're thinking maybe there's some faint glimmer of hope here, is that they revert a little bit. That they, It's like a tennis match. It's like, are you going to play at this level for all five or six or seven games? What you saw in the second half of the Heat last night was a little bit more of what they've been doing all season. And so if they revert, if they come down a little bit and the Celtics come up a little bit, we actually might get a series. I mean, the Heat were eight for 32 for three in game four. Yeah. Eight for 32. And the thing is, and the truth is, if it ain't Jimmy going to get the bucket, they don't have anybody else that can go get the bucket. Like for all the criticisms I have of Jalen Brown, he can't go get you a bucket, right? That's right. My criticism of him is all the other stuff. Like I think Tatum's a better defender than people give him credit for, and I don't think Brown is as good a defender um, as people give him credit for. But neither of them, even with Tatum at those big games and putting up that 51, it didn't feel like a great player 51. It felt like the stars all aligned and everything else is there. But just as you said, they come back home for game five, which they haven't been great at. But if they win that game, yeah, baby, we got a series. The Celtics haven't won a game five at home since they haven't done it in two years. They swept they swept Brooklyn last year. Yeah. They lost game five against Milwaukee. They lost game five. I'm sorry, they didn't have home court last year. They lost game six at home against Miami. They lost game five this year against uh, Atlanta. They lost game five against Philadelphia. So they haven't won a game five in two years, probably, at least. You got to go back into the season before. And so it's no guarantee that they're going to show up. You don't know what you're going to get with that team. And the reason why you don't know what you're going to get from that team is because your offensive players don't know what they're going to get from their games. And that is the, that is the fundamental difference. And if you don't know what you're going to get from your game, then what you have to do is you have to play consistent defense all the time. And they don't do that. They deed up last night. And I thought it was really interesting watching Robert Williams sort of shadow Jimmy Butler to give him some problems. That was interesting. I don't understand why people fall for Kyle Lowry's head fakes. I don't get it, especially <laughs> when you're Jalen Brown. But that's, an, once again, an example of toughness. But the other thing about this, too, is, and we were talking, you know, you and I talk about this. I was talking to Barkley about it over, you know, if, you know, when he was in town for game two. At some point, you got to have some pride. You got to have some pride as players. I know we're all talking about Joe Missoula getting fired and whether or not Joe Missoula is in over his head, which he is, and whether or not Missoula is the reason because his rotations are a disaster. And why, if you're playing a stretch game, why Sam Hauser is on the bench and you would rather have bad three point shooters take shots when he's a good three point shooter? Nobody understands any of this. But at some point, it does come down to do you want Jimmy Butler clowning you? If you're a great player, and that's the thing about this Celtic team, I really, you know, Shaquille O'Neal actually said it best when he said the Celtics are a little too cool for me. And at some point, when you start getting down to the raw nature of competition, are you going to let Jimmy Butler clown you? Right? Are you going to just let them run all over you? It's like that, you know, like the the famous Bobby Knight you know, are you going to recover Greg Graham? Are you going to let him drive right by you, right? I mean, where's your pride? Where is it going to come from? And at some point, the players have to be the ones who say, listen, enough of this. And I think that if you're Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, everyone's been talking about you two being the, the you know, the best twosome in the game. And they said it on, on the game last night that they that that duo has won more games than any other duo in the last couple of years. I think that if you're Jamal Murray and you're Nikola Jokic, you're the best twosome in the game right now. Maybe, you know, the Celtics need that sort of reality check that you're not as good as you think you are. The NBA is loaded right now. 
You're not that good. You got to prove this. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training. Just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. Spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. If the Celtics were as locked in as Denver has been, this Heat series, it might be the other way that it was 3-0, right? Like, that's... If Boston were to somehow miraculously make it to the NBA Finals, they would have over Denver when nobody's had over Denver so far that really matters is home court. Because yeah. I don't think that anybody's beaten Denver in that place. I just don't think that, you know, the altitude factors and everything else, I just don't think that anybody's going to be able to beat them there. Boston would be the team that would have a chance to play games one, two, five, and seven in their own house, right? They would then have that best chance to do it if they could just lock in. And the thing that Malone has got those guys in Denver figuring out, and it ain't so much about strategy in terms of coaching, it's right there. Like, he has them believing that they are supposed to be champions and they comport themselves as such. I think it's a luxury if your coach is able to do that. Like, I still think that these guys in Boston should be able to do this for themselves. Right? 100%. Like, like Malone shouldn't have, like, next year, Malone shouldn't have to do this for these guys, right? No. Boston, these dudes have been too far to be looking at the coach and blaming him or getting tired of him or whatever it is. What are y'all doing? You what know, are y'all doing? I look, I watched the Warriors go something like 37 and four or whatever that was with Luke Walton. Right. <laughs> like, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think they were out there looking at Luke Walton for guidance. Draymond was like, all right, I'm the coach now. And mm-hmm. when this whole thing happened with Eme, there should have been at least one dude on the Celtics who could have been like, all right, like for real though, I'm the coach. And they don't have that guy. That's right. The Celtics have been to five Eastern conference finals in the last, what, seven years, seven something years. like that. Right. And so when you look at the construction of the Celtics, okay, I'm of two minds when it comes to Joe Missoula. On the one hand, I believe that he is being treated completely unfairly, even though I am probably one of his biggest critics, because I think he's in way over his head. However, he's in a job he's not supposed to have. He was never supposed to have this job. He was a second row guy on the bench. He wasn't even in the first row with Ime's coaches. The second issue I have is that Brad Stevens has only been in his job two years in terms of him being the top guy in this organization. So the component of the Boston Celtics that actually has the most championship experience is the players. To your point, you are 100% correct. They are the ones who should be carrying everybody else because they're the ones who have been against LeBron in a game seven at home with a fourth quarter lead and didn't get it done. But still, they're the ones who were in the NBA finals last year. They're the ones who have gone through all this stuff. So they shouldn't need that push, right? The other way that I'm conflicted on Missoula is simply that people are like, oh man, I think it's just an overreaction that you want to get rid of him. You, This is not the NFL. Bill Belichick controls your money. Guaranteed contracts are are few and far between. The coach controls you in that sport. In this sport, it's the other way around. So if these guys are going to wave you off, which is what they do and what stunned me actually being in the building for game two was watching the number of times that, that Missoula would try to huddle them up and they were ignoring him. You saw in, in, you know, last night's game that, Tatum comes to the bench and he just gives a wave. And I don't know if that wave was directly at Missoula or if it was at something else or somebody was heckling or whatever, but it looked like he gave a wave directly to his coach. And so if you can't reach these guys, you cannot do your job. 
And I think the biggest problem that the Celtics have, which is something very, very different than what these other coaches have, you know, Pop doesn't have it because he's Pop. Kerr doesn't have it. Spo doesn't have it because he's got the big guy behind him, right, in Pat Riley. The guy the Celtics aren't listening to, Joe Missoula, is the prodigy of the guy they stopped listening to, Brad Stevens. So the question really is, if you really don't have a lot of respect or if you don't believe in these two guys who are the top levels of, of management, coach and GM, then you either better motivate yourself or this whole thing is going to get blown up. Yo, people in seeing like the Nick Nurse, uh, Monty Williams, Mike Budenholzer, Doc Rivers run of guys get fired. And I listen to the hemming and the hawing, right? Have we completely forgotten how this whole thing works, <laughs> right? Like nobody says about any player at any position. Well, hey, man. That guy was the shooting guard on a team that won 58 games. How are you going to get him out of here and say that it's his fault? It's not really that simple. It's just the question as to whether or not you are the right person, the most effective to serve in that seat. Now, the irony of it is hearing people complain about Nick Nurse get fired. How did Nick Nurse get that job? Nick mm -hmm. Nurse got that job when Dwayne Casey got fired after winning, I believe, 58 games that year. But you know what else also happened that year? DeMar DeRozan, all-time leading scorer for that franchise who had consistently gotten them to these conference finals. Mm -hmm. They shipped him out of town to get Kawhi Leonard because it was like, yo, we got to do something else in be order better. to make this happen. It happens that way. So, like, now it's a problem when Nick Nurse gets fired. It wasn't really a problem when Casey got fired to do that because there was just a recognition by Masai Ujiri at that point. This thing has gone about as far as it is going to go. My thing with Doc Rivers getting fired is if you're firing him because he didn't get past the second round, fine. I just don't know why you hired him in the first place. He is a second round coach who had a second round roster and a second round general manager. This, you know, this is how it goes. But if you decide that some part of that needs to change, then yeah, he winds up going. Monty Williams, this ain't the first time we've seen a dude win a bunch of games and then wind up getting fired. You don't get to keep your job based upon what you did. Whether you keep your job is about what they think you are going to do, and winning 60-something games is not the point, right? That's what it, what it gets to. And so with Missoula, they won 57 games with him this year. Nobody's going to think it's crazy if he gets fired, right? Because we're watching the dudes just decide we're out on this. We watched the Lakers fire Phil Jackson twice. That's right. Twice. And, and on top of that, like I said, I mean, I am not, I mean, I'm a Celtics fan. I've been a Celtics fan my whole life, et cetera. But I'm not a Celtics homer. You know what I mean? I'm not like, you know, like like when I was covering the Yankees, it was one of my favorite things where like Yankee fans would get upset and they would be like, well, how come we can't just go get Albert Pujols for like an 80th round draft pick, right? I mean, that crazy stuff that they always say, like they think the entire world is a feeder system for the New York Yankees. But this Celtic team underachieved this year. They won 57 games. That's a 65, 66 win team over there. They lost easily eight to 10 games this year where they were just like, nah, now you could make that you can't make that argument for a lot of teams because that's damn near 70 games. But that team on that roster last year, watching them 82 times, they had at least eight games where they were just maybe, maybe not, so be it, because they just didn't come to play. That doesn't mean that they also won games that they shouldn't have won, but there was not a 57-win team there. And everybody knows that that's not a 57-win team you're looking at. Just like when you're watching the Heat, you don't go, oh, my goodness, that's an eight seed. That's not an eight seed they're playing. So I think when you, I think to your point, when you're thinking about a team like the Suns, they're looking at this and they're going, okay, what is our actual end game here? Right? Our end game is not to make the playoffs. And that's not even just an expectation thing. That is a, what is our roster thing? Why does Monty Williams not have a job? Monty Williams doesn't have a job because you're not going to throw DeAndre Ayton in the trash. Right? The bottom line was, can you fix that? And by the time that playoff ended, Chris Paul's injury notwithstanding, that thing never got fixed. Right? And if you were in a, in a in a lesser situation, if you're Steve Kerr, they'd be saying the same thing about you and Jordan Poole and all your young players, but you but you are backed by four championships. So you're in a different situation. But the transition taking place in San Francisco right now isn't that different either. That's going to be a wild one next year. 
because none of this is shaping up like Bob Myers is going to come back. It sounds, depending on who you ask, Joe Lacob might want to install his son mm-hmm. there, and that always goes well. <laughs> like that's 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 always the groove. Okay, but with Clay Thompson withering before our eyes and people have always said I'm too hard on him because I'll say things like he's finished and I get it that might be a bit dramatic but he's finished in terms of being the guy that you think he needs to be in order for them to win championships he's turning into Ray Allen at the end I I think he wishes he was Ray Allen at the end honestly Ray Allen was Ray Allen was a net positive all the way until the end and I am not sure that Clay Thompson was a net positive in the playoffs Mm -hmm. this season um but if you remember in the in even 08 playoffs, Ray Allen couldn't find a shot, and then he found his shot. Yeah, and I then there you. there are moments where the automatic is no longer automatic. That there are going to yes. be stretches where the automatic, and everybody looks at Clay because he's such a gorgeous shot anyway. That that's always supposed to be automatic, and he's not the automatic anymore. No, he's not. And Draymond Green, I'm guessing, is going to wind up back with him, but we don't really know how he's going to end up holding up. The thing with the youngsters hasn't gone so well. And you punched um, a guy in the face. He did punch a guy in the face. But to be fair, by the end, other people wanted to punch him in the face, too. Well, he has a punchable um, face. But, <laughs> the, but what I mean by that is when, I'm, when I say he punched a guy in the face, what I'm saying is, is that after that, after the playoffs, you have a coach who acknowledges that that rift had never healed. So if that rift hasn't healed now, do you think that rift's going to be healed over the summer? Because they all want Draymond back. Yeah. Somebody ain't going to be there or or you've got this same issue. Next season. Right. Now, does that same issue mean that it's going to translate to losing 30 of 41 road games? Probably not, but you have that same issue. And then we got the Lakers, who, as I, I mean, I've been saying on here, and I mean this, it was really a valiant effort. Like getting this as far as they did was really, really impressive. And then LeBron gets out there and starts talking about the I might retire situation, (laughs) which I admit. Had it felt a great deal. Hey, look at me. It was. It really was. It was. I am not quite willing to give the Denver Nuggets the stage right now. No. Let me just flex a little bit. I would like to take one step backwards, though. And I would like to take that step backwards. And I would like to congratulate you on being um, consistent on the Denver Nuggets when I was not. Um, My feeling going into the postseason, as you know, you and I talk all the time that this is the best player wins sport. And when I look at the NBA, I ask one question. Can your two beat my two in the fourth quarter? And when it came to Denver, I love their two. I, I mean, and and I love the third guy too, you know, because Michael Porter Jr. is a really, really, really good player. He might be the best third guy in the league, right? At the same time, I gave Denver a disp- I wasn't willing to give Denver that dispensation because I've never seen it. We've never seen them complete the deal. And and this time they completed the deal. Also, my attitude going into the postseason was, especially in the Western Conference, because you had Memphis in the two, Denver in the one, Sacramento in the three. And you're like, really? I think I'm just going to go with the best players. And at the end of the day, the best players ended up winning in that I'll take the best players over Sacramento, best players came out and win with Steph. I'll take the best players over Memphis, best players come out, suddenly it's LeBron and AD. And then by the time you get to the Western Conference Finals, oh, guess who the best players really are? And guess who the best team really is? I was still waiting at some point, because when you go to games one, two, and three, games one and two were really interesting tests. Because Denver had every opportunity to give game one away after being up by 20. That was a close game. Ditto for game two. If you're the Lakers, you had game two. And they just found that extra. Same for game three, game four. Denver proved that these nuggets aren't those nuggets. Because all those stretches that used to bury them, they were the ones putting those stretches on the Lakers. Yeah, let me tell you what else you showed me, too. League need to be real glad Jamal Murray had that ACL tear mm-hmm. in 2021 because this is probably beginning to happen then, right? Yes. Because And also keeping in mind, we got a quarterback injury that was thrown in between the bubble and now. Like a whole lot of that, people might have got right. spared mm-hmm. by the fact that they did not get like 
get to see this team with Murray and then they then have this building action to get to this, you know, to get to this point. Like I, just I first look- saw him, man. I remember I saw him. He put 48 on the Celtics in Denver and and Kyrie is usually the guy who is like, oh, because he loves those one on one battles. Mm-hmm. And Jamal Murray ate him alive. No, nothing on that bone. And I was like, who is this? <laughs> No, I just had to look up and be like, hey, man. And it, actually, I almost feel like my buddy Nick almost dared me into it. He's like, you guys aren't picking Denver because you don't think he's that good. I was like, you know what? You raise a fair point. I do think he's that good, and they're going to win the West. Mm-hmm. Right? And then they didn't just win it. They won it pretty emphatically in spite of how yeah. well the Lakers played on the come up. But I want to ask this about LeBron and just our perception of LeBron where we keep saying he's in his 20th year, but we stop acting like he's in his 20th year. He showed the series. Yeah, what happened was he just couldn't keep going. Like, he put up that 31 in the first half of game four, which is bananas, and then he just didn't have anything left, and it wasn't because he was tired. It's because he was hurt. And and 38. When, yeah, and when, but when he talks about, you know, I don't know if I'm going to come back, and people are like, oh, it's the emotion of the season, da-da-da. Hey, guys, let's see what this looks like in training camp. Because let us not forget, if I'm not mistaken, this is the same injury he had going into the game where he broke the record, right? Yep. And he made the comparison I've made here is the Johan Santana comparison where Johan Santana decided that he wanted a no-hitter before he went and blew the pitch count and everything that he had. And basically, he decided, I'm going out with this. This is the end of my career. And, and Pedro that's, Martinez did the same thing. Yeah, and that's, ex- that's exactly what happened. With LeBron, I will never forget he was so hell-bent on breaking that record that night. He didn't have to do that. They had a game against the Bucks a couple nights later. He went so hard to break that record that night, and you remember, he didn't play much or score anything, basically, after he broke that record. His foot has not been right since he mashed the gas to break that record. And then last night, it was very clear, he just wasn't getting swept. Like, he was going to do it, yeah. whatever, not last night, but uh, game four, whatever it took to not get swept. He was not going to get swept. And then in the end, you saw it physically. He just didn't have anything left. If this was an injury that they said would have put people down for weeks or months and he played through it at age 38, are we positive that a man at 270-something pounds, however big he is right now, is going to be ready for training camp on that bad foot at that age? Like, he's not going to retire because he ain't giving up no money that he has contractually uh, agreed to receive. He's not going to do that. But there is a real chance that we will wish that he had retired when he comes back in the fall. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that there's two other pieces to that worth seeing as well, which is what's my roster look like? You know, I mean, LeBron, LeBron reminds me of a tennis player in that he reminds me of one of those top guys, a Federer and a dollar Djokovic, where it's like, I ain't here for the second round. If I don't believe I can win the tournament, uh, you ain't going to see me. I'm not a seventh ranked player. You know, I'm not a guy who's going to float around in the top 10 and doesn't even make the second week of a tournament. You know, so if LeBron James feels like I've got NBA champion in me, I think you'll see LeBron. And that is for the first time in his career is way more dependent on who his teammates are. Because I thought that LeBron was brilliant. He can still do whatever he wants on a basketball court. He's still the engine. He's still the most physically dominant guy in the, in the league, even with a game, even with Giannis in it, right? You watch him when he wants to go somewhere, he goes somewhere. Okay. He shot 23% from three and he doesn't have 48 minutes in him. However, the situation required him to play 40 minutes just for them to have a chance. And I think that all this is going to do is it's going to exacerbate the AD questions because you realize that AD is not the guy to give him the the relief that he needs. But it was compelling watching LeBron. We're in that lion in winter stage with LeBron right now where where you know that his championship heart is giving you these future memories. Like whatever he gives you from now on, he's giving you because he's making one last stand. The question is going to be, If he has a team similar to the team he had to start the season, if he looks around and goes, I can't do it with these, you know what I mean? I, what can, what can even the best effort from me produce with this team? Now, if you put him in a situation like say the Lakers of 19, 
69 to about 72, 73, where he's Will Chamberlain and he can average 14 points a game and give you, you know, give you four or five minutes of championship play that separates, you know, an, an outcome. Different story, but that roster needs him right now way more than what he can produce. He also said something very interesting. It almost sounds like his wife finally got a hold of him and was like, dude, you're putting too much pressure on the kid. Mm-hmm. Where where he said, finally, like, I didn't ask whether Bronny wanted to play with me. I was like, wow. How, wow. And how just, good is he? Yeah, it just dawned on you that mm-hmm. maybe, just maybe, what you've been doing was a horrible idea <laughs> in the name of the kid. And maybe, just maybe, the kid doesn't want his dad on road trips. Isn't that something? But that if he really means what he says there, it wouldn't shock me. No, it wouldn't shock me. Somewhere coming up before this season that he wound up retiring. Like, I think it's really going to come down to is that foot coming back around? Because I'm not sure he's willing to do what Kobe did, which was just take their money for the last three years. Well, and let's look at it this way, too, right? As we've said, there are only three ways out of this thing when you when you retire. When it's over, there's only three doors. The game retires you because you can't play anymore. That's not the case with LeBron right now. Your body retires you because it can't do it. The body is like, look, man, we done. We're seeing that with Rafa Nadal right now, right? We're done. Can't do this anymore. Or three, you go out on top. You say enough and you say, the last memory that you have of me is going to be when I was still dominant, when I was at the top of my game. If LeBron James retires right now, that's door number three. He is speeding toward door number two if that foot's not right. Because I think that the other thing that you use the summer for is to say, can this body do 82 more plus two months of playoffs? Does it look like it can handle that type of workload? And is LeBron James the type of player who can be a third option as he plays out the string? You know, so we're going to find out a lot about him personality wise. And I think you make a really good point. This is not Ken Griffey Sr. and Ken Griffey Jr. Because LeBron Sr. is so much better right now. You're not looking at Bronny as the prodigy. It's the other way around. If it, you know, if this were Joe Bryant and his phenom son, you know, Kobe coming up, then maybe you do want to hang out because this kid's going places and you want to be on board to watch that. But instead, the the looming, lurking shadow of the great LeBron James is going to have a terrible effect on this kid because we don't know how good he is. Yeah, like this is... Ken Griffey Sr. is more analogous to Dell Curry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, that's a, a good one. Now, of course... Griffey, I believe, won a batting title, but also played with the Big Red Machine. Like, Del Curry never played with something like the Big Red Machine, but in terms of what type of player he was and how good he was. Solid player. Yeah, solid player. But he played for the Braves in, like, 87 or 88, and I'm here to tell you, uh, wasn't nobody going places, getting brought in at that age to go play for that team at that time. But LeBron mm-hmm. James, you're right, just sucks up all the oxygen in the room because he likes it that way. Let us not forget, it is not an accidental situation. Him, No, no, he's Empire. He is right? the Empire. Right. Now, I bet you Bronny kind of like, man, I hope Daddy can get his foot right because he's going to try to come to all my games. He's going to be out there doing that stuff like he's doing at the high school and AAU games, <laughs> jumping in the layup lines and everything else. Like, Do you realize how annoying LeBron's Instagram story is going to be if he ain't got no season to play? Mm. And also, it's going to be, I I think LeBron as a player, it is really going to be fascinating to see what drives you. I mean, what is driving LeBron right now? Like, what was driving him to Los Angeles was, you know, not just to win another championship with three organizations, but to also, you know, his personal life, his business life and all of those other things. And then suddenly it became the motivation was to play with his son. And maybe that might not be on the table right now. So when you're a LeBron James, the man who has it all, what is actually driving you to do another month of training, month and a half of training camp, 82 more games before you even get to the tournament? Like, do you really want to go and play back to backs or not play the second game and go through all of this again? How close are the Los Angeles Lakers to the NBA championship, in your opinion? I don't want to say they're far, but I watched them with 
a unhealthy LeBron, which is what I would presume it would be in the postseason next year, too. I watched them get swept. That's right. And you would have to assume that there are gonna there's gonna be some other teams now. Obviously, Memphis is in disarray, but you'd have to assume that Sacramento's aspirations are gonna be higher next year. You're gonna who knows what's gonna be going on with Golden State. I think they're probably in the same situation as the Lakers. And those tricky clippers. And you and you never know what's going on over there. And so maybe. Maybe he sees an opening. But right now, Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, all really good teams. Sacramento, really good team. Denver, great team. Pelicans are a healthy Zion away from being top three in the West. And then there's that, right? Oklahoma City's getting Chet back next year. Mm -hmm. So you got a lot to look at. And I think that, you know, LeBron James is going to have to ask himself questions or is asking himself questions he's never had to ask before. And this is the interesting piece when an athlete hits this stage. Can you walk away gracefully? Do you see one more thing? Is there is there one more piece? Because generally speaking, if we look at it historically, what's going to happen? His body's going to break down midway through the season. The car is going to be on the side of the road. Because nobody can yeah, – they, they ran a graphic last night about number of minutes played career-wise. Did you see that graphic at the end of the game last night? Mm-hmm. And they, you know, Kareem – LeBron's made 35,000 minutes. I mean, them tires are bald. Yeah. And, and, we, Carmel- and we got the nerve to ask for more. <laughs> and that's the – how much more do you want? At some point – at some point, the tank is empty, Right. And so I the, the the analogy that I would use for LeBron right now would probably be Chamber, late stage Chamberlain, you know, whereas here's what we need of you. We need a stretch every couple of weeks where you go vintage and we'll take the rest. And then when we get to the playoffs, empty the tank. Yeah, if you can work with that sort of dynamic, you got a shot. Yeah. You know, or or Tim Duncan late stage. But by the time Tim Duncan was done, he was done. He was done. It was over. But quietly, they had brought in a superstar and we just didn't realize it. That's right. And Kawhi. That's right. You know, like they were still getting enough out of Parker. They were still getting enough out of Ginobili. Like it was just a really well-constructed unit that... When you go back and look at advanced numbers and stuff like that, the truth is the best player on that team was, in fact, Kawhi Leonard. That's we right. just weren't up on game and couldn't see it that way because old consistent-ass Tim Duncan, who you go look at his, like, per 36 and per 100 possession numbers, they the same, dog. Like, yeah. they just it, just it just looks like we sent the same dude out there every single year. But, no, this is, this is going to be an interesting thing for the Lakers, for LeBron, everything, because it could turn out a bit heartbreaking. Like I have raised the question whether we're going to get a John Henry situation out of him. And who knows? LeBron first game, he may show up at overalls. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And and I think that what people don't appreciate, people don't appreciate is how hard the game is and how hard the preparation for the game is. Like when you see LeBron over there with his knees covered in ice and, you know, I mean, this game hurts. It's like my, it's like my favorite anecdote when I think I told you this when David Ortiz was retiring and I walked up to him and he was hitting 300. And I was like, Poppy, why are you quitting? You're hitting 300. And he said, because my feet hurt. <laughs> you know, I mean, and it's like, oh. You know, oh yes, oh you have to. You know, you're a DH and your feet hurt. What's right. it like being? Was it like being LeBron James when you're supposed to carry the earth to make stuff happen? And remember this about LeBron: it's the most amazing thing. And this may have changed because I can't remember what all the injuries have been in LA. But I know when he first got to LA, the only time he'd ever been under anesthesia was to get his wisdom teeth removed. Like, remember you and I? We talked to Larry Fitzgerald about this, and mm-hmm. back on the record with Bob Cosby, we're like, "Hey, Larry, how many surgeries you had? None." None. Yeah. Like it's it's an interesting factoid about the great players. Jordan didn't have a surgery until he got to Washington. Can this foot recover by the, the foot didn't require surgery? But can he recover without having to go under the knife? 
That's right. Because if somebody his age has to have surgery, yo, cut this off. This is over, man. Um, unless you just want to tough it out and and do your, you know, and do your recovery highlight reel, you know, yeah. and do your do your comeback reel, but you're not going to be the same player. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I mean, it's like what we've been asking of Clay Thompson and what you've been asking of, you know, obviously Durant has been remarkable in what he's been able to do post surgeries, but. At that size and that weight and that age, you know, it's just bad math. Yo, and Durant might be finished, too. That's a discussion for another day, but we're forgetting he's been in the league for 16 years and had an Achilles tear and a Liz Frank. That's right. These guys can't play forever, man. It just seems like it. Durant's not the player that he was five years ago, right? Like, it's, we want to keep them there. But Giannis might not even be the player he was two years ago, right? Giannis is a great call right there. Like, everyone's like, what happened? I'm like, take a look. Yeah. You know, take a look. And especially the style of play that these guys have. They're not just out there shooting jumpers. And even if you're out there shooting jumpers, the legs go on the jump shot. Ask Clay Thompson. Right. right. So it's a different it's a, it's a different thing. And, and, and we've been blessed. Like, when we start talking about errors, the one thing that this postseason really did show us is that there is a changing of the guard right in front of our faces. Yep. And by the way, that Jokic is like, see, that's what y'all get for all that jumping and running. <laughs> he out here on that Robert Parrish. Robert Parrish played 25 years in the NBA because he wasn't expending an ounce of energy that wasn't required. And did yoga. Odd. Well, part of Robert Parrish's life tells me, yes, he would do yoga. I still feel like for Shreveport's old Robert Parrish, that, that was a bit more adventurous than I ever would have thought of. But I imagine he was smoking weed with somebody who was like, dude, you got to try it. All right. right. All right. And then put some of that weed in the mail. All right. Yes. Yes. Not just some of it. A significant quantity. And then put a bunch of that in the mail. All right. They don't call me chief for nothing all of a sudden. But that is Howard Bright. Check him out. Metal Arc Media, uh, ESPN, and just go look his name up at Amazon. You will find many a book. My man, I appreciate it. Hey, man, thank you. Game four. Game uh, five. Tomorrow. <laughs> it's waiting on you. And ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. We do this three times a week. Parker Owens, Dan Stancic, and Adi Khan handling everything behind the scenes. Thank you, gentlemen. Remember, follow The Right Time. Rate us. Review us. Give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. We'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.